Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. We had a little bit of a, um, of a hard end on the last hour, so I apologize for that. <laughs> Sometimes I, I just run out of time. Um, don't run out of time today. Actually live each moment as unto the Lord. Every moment is holy. So uh, when you consider what you're doing in this very moment, in this very moment, whoo, how is it that um, you are experiencing God in this moment? Because he is present. Um, his eye is turned toward you. His concern is turned in your direction. His affection is poured out. His grace uh, is being uh, deposited over you in all sufficient measure. Um, the gifts of God, all the good gifts, you know, all those good gifts that are poured out from heaven above, um, all that which is necessary for the accomplishing of his will in your life today, all of it, all of it is available right now. And so that gives me um, a peace and a confidence in this moment that I might otherwise not have. If I think it's all up to me and I think I have to cobble together all the resources to accomplish it, I am going to drive myself um, into a bit of a frenzy um, and then certainly to exhaustion because it takes very little time for me to exhaust my own resources. And so let's, uh, let's be sure we're tapped into the inexhaustible resources of the Lord our God today. Let's be sure we're tapped into um, that power source that literally never runs dry. It's like uh, solar power to the millionth degree, right? And so are you plugged into the sun? Not S-U-N, but S-O-N. Are you plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you plugged into the ultimate power source today? Um, Are you allowing his grace to flow into and through your life? If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then that connection is constant and ongoing and and cannot be interrupted by anything. If you are not in Christ, then my guess is you don't you don't even know what I'm talking about and you've never experienced that that kind of connection with God. Well, I want you to not just know in your head, but actually know in your in your heart and in your life and in the the beating of your heart. I want you to know God. I want you to be connected to him with such an intimacy that it is, in fact, his power flowing through you today. So um, spend some time in John chapter 15. That's a good place um, to listen to Jesus talk about what it means to abide in him, what it means to be intimately connected with him as a vine is to its branches. Um, And then if you want to follow up, just send me an email, carmen at myfaithradio.com, and let's follow up. If you are seeking to make that kind of intimate personal connection with God today, we'd love to be a part of that conversation. So first up this morning, uh, in this hour, I'm going to talk with Dr. David Stevens. I have not touched on the coronavirus during uh, the show this morning, and so this next segment uh, is going to address all of that. We're going to talk about how it's tested for. I'm also going to raise this question about 
people apparently in the United States of America not seeking testing because, you know, they don't want to take a day off work and they don't they certainly don't want to lose a paycheck if they get quarantined. So that's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me today, Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Uh, and Dr. Stevens, thank you for, for coming back. We need to talk with you today. <laughs> well, there's a lot going on, especially with the coronavirus, so it's great to be with you. Well, yes. So I think that since the last time we spoke, this has really sort of spiked in the news and become uh, a, a topic of constant conversation across every sector. And so people are going to be in a conversation today about the coronavirus one way or another. Um, what would you say you most want people to know today? The risk is still low. And the fact that you might get this is very, very remote. Uh, right now, there, uh, this is found in 15 states in the country, but we're talking about fewer than 100 people out of uh, 300 million <laughs> that have it. There have been six deaths. Most of those have come from a nursing home in Washington State. Uh, and of course, the elderly are much more risk with the flu or with the coronavirus. It's spread to 70 countries around the world. And uh, there's some new focal points, including Rand and Italy and some places like that. But uh, it's not time to panic. In fact, it's never time to panic. Uh, we've uh, really been approaching this, I think, wisely with uh, uh, isolating people that get it. That's the, the thing you do with epidemics. You try to keep other people from getting the same virus by uh, isolating them. And, and once you do that, uh, the risk drops significantly. So um, we have about uh, 100 cases in the U.S., and almost half of those came from people coming from overseas. And then there's some community um, contagion going on where people that have gotten it have given it to others. But uh, they're following up with each person, trying to find who they've been in contact with and isolating them. That protects us all. Okay, let's talk about testing. Um, mm -hmm. we, we hear about testing for uh, COVID-19. Um, what is the test? Um, how is it done? And then how are we doing it differently here in the United States than maybe they're doing it in other places? Well, if you want to know the real term, it's a real-time reverse transcription polymerase chain reaction test. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I'm so – I was I, – you know, I I might have lived my whole life without <laughs> ever needing to know that. But I'm so glad you've shared that tidbit of information with us. We call it the RRT-PCR, but, uh, you know, we it's the test. And uh, this actually identifies the genetic material of the virus, so it's it's a very good test. Uh, there were some initial problems with the manufacturing that was going on here in the U.S., and we've gotten around that. They had one of the things that uh, made up that test wasn't working well, but uh, that's been solved. There's about 75,000 tests available in the country. There'll be a million by the end of this week. Uh, but it's not recommended right now unless you've traveled to an affected country or you've had contact with a known case. I mean, the chances of getting this for people just walking down the street that don't have a history to justify it is extremely, extremely remote. Now, if we get more cases, that will change. 
Uh, in fact, if you came in right now with respiratory symptoms, a cough, a fever, the first thing they would do would be a flu test because flu's common and it's flu season. And uh, millions of people will have flu this year here in the United States. Uh, but if your flu test was negative, you had, uh, you know, a history that suggested you may have been in contact with the patient either here or abroad, then that's when the test would take place. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's not going to be something you go in and ask for. I've got a cold. Can you give me uh, give me the test for coronavirus? They're probably not going to do that unless there's a history suggesting you've been exposed. Okay, so, um, you know, like in South Korea, we hear they're like doing drive through testing here in the United States. I hear people now. I don't actually know any people who fall into this category. So this might just be speculation. But there are at least some people who resist going and get tested for just about anything because, first of all, they have to pay for the test. And second of all, um, they don't have paid sick leave if they're sent home, you know, let's say to self-quarantine or something. So can you talk about how this works when we're dealing with something that, you know, we really don't want shared communally? Well, there's laws on the books that um, can force people into isolation um, in epidemics, and that law hasn't been put in effect yet. But uh, the penalty for not doing it is uh, a, a year in jail and a $1,000 fine. So, I mean, when you get into an epidemic-type situation, uh, we have the obligation biblically to protect others. And, uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And as Philippians 2.4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So biblically, we as Christians have a responsibility not to expose others if we think uh, we're sick with the coronavirus or other things. And uh, at the same time, uh, we have to realize that uh, th this is, can be serious. Uh, the death rate is two and a half to three percent of people that get this. It's normally in the elderly, those who have uh, immunocompromised uh, systems from rheumatoid arthritis medicines, other medicines that do that type of thing, as it's trying to control uh, some diseases, and the elderly. Uh, the six cases that have happened in the United States where people have died, four of them happened in a nursing facility in Washington state because people there were older and could not fight the infection. It's the same for the flu. The elderly and those that have chronic diseases are more likely to get sick. So yeah, we, we have an obligation. And what will happen if this gets loose? Schools will close. Churches will not meet. Uh, what you do is keep people from getting together where they can spread this disease. And that's the best control and uh, until we have a vaccine. And that's what's happened in China and other countries uh, where they are keeping large public gatherings from happening. All right, uh, Dr. Stevens, when we come back from a very brief break, I'm going to ask you um, about medical professionals and how they handle outbreaks like this um, and how their families process the stress of having a family member in an environment where, you know, there's just so much uncertainty in terms of the things you're exposed to. So that's the conversation that we're going to have next. I'm talking with Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dr. David Stevens from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Um, Dr. Stevens, a listener uh, wants to know, how would all of this affect grocery stores? I'm thinking yeah, of that like hot or cold buffet. I probably, <laughs> I'm probably not going to the hot or cold buffet. 
Yeah. The, you know, the, the thing that's happening in, in, and happened in China is actually they set up a system to deliver groceries to people's homes. And of course, now we have that available in the U.S. in many places as well. So, uh, you know, you have a young guy wearing a face mask, bringing your groceries to your door and you're ordering online. In fact, in Wuhan, where this happened, they flooded the market with uh, groceries. And there were 50% more groceries in grocery stores than were actually needed because they were afraid of the fear people would have that, well, how are we going to get food? How are we going to take care of our family? So that was what would happen if this got out of control here in the U.S. You wouldn't be going to the grocery store. You would not go anywhere. People would, uh, you know, self-isolate if they had symptoms. But if it got really bad, then uh, people are staying at home, not going to work, working from home. Uh, they're not taking the kids to daycare. Any place where people are going to meet in groups would be limited until the thing got under control. And that's what's happened in China. Yesterday, there were only 150 cases reported out of China because they put all these uh, this methodology in place to prevent transmission. So it's hard, I think, for some Americans to imagine um actually just stopping everything, having, you know, having the world come to the equivalent of a screeching halt. Um, but that is what we're talking about if if it gets to that point. Let's talk about the people who have to go to work anyway. Let's talk about healthcare providers. Let's talk about first responders. Um, how do how do you talk with um, people in in the medical and dental professions about not only their own safety, but what has to be um, some level of anxiety uh, just about exposure to lots of things, not just this. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there's many things you can catch for taking care of patients. That's part of being a healthcare professional. Professional means I have a covenant relationship, uh, especially for Christians, between me and God and you as a patient. I am ready to put my life at risk for you because I'm making that commitment that I'll do what's best for you in this situation even at my own risk. But how do you handle this in an epidemic? First of all, you stay up to date with the latest information because things are changing constantly. Uh, what's the best treatment might be, isolation procedures, all that type of thing. Secondly, you review your infection control policies in your office or, or your um, in the hospital. Uh, how do we triage people? You want to meet people at the door before they walk in with coronavirus. And if they're having respiratory infection patients, the first thing you're going to do is put a mask on their face. You've already got one on yours because you don't want them to spread to other people uh, in the waiting room. You, in fact, you'll have a patient placement for suspected coronaviruses where you're putting those people in areas where they cannot contaminate others. You manage visitors. They're coming into their rooms if they're in a hospital. Make sure they're using protective uh, things. You're alert for symptoms. You're promptly implementing source control. If you identify a case, you're immediately following that up with the public health people who are going to follow up all the contacts, family members, where this person works, and uh, trying to contain this from spreading from person to person. And then if you're sick, you don't go to work either. Uh, if you get coronavirus, you're not going to be taking care of patients. You're going to be in isolation. So there's a number of systems that are in place. They've been well tested in other epidemics, and, uh, and they're revised as needed as you're dealing with each uh, new disease. Um, Dr. Stevens, tell me what a person is experiencing um, early in in their infection, um, and then what they're experiencing, particularly if this gets acute. Well, normally it would seem just like you're catching the flu. You've got a cough. You have a fever. Uh, usually, there's My not body aches. 
your like body I, aches. Yeah. Yep. And you usually don't have sputum production with a virus. Occasionally you do. Uh, so it, it looks exactly okay, like Okay, but you're you going to have to define flu. that for the for the for the people who skipped that class, what, what does that sputum, mean? Sputum production. You're not coughing anything up when when okay. I talk about sputum production. So a bacterial infection, you produce uh, sputum, and when you don't, with a virus, it normally does not have one. So, yeah, it's aches and pains, cough and fever. It looks pretty much like the flu, but it gets worse in for some people with this, as it does with the flu. And it can get deep down into the lungs, and then you can uh, see it on X-ray, what we call ground glass appearance on an x-ray, and uh, then it can begin to affect other organ systems, even go into organ failure in the very, very severe cases in people who have chronic diseases, don't have a good immune system. They're more at risk, and that's when this thing advances and can actually kill people. Vast majority of people, 97, 98 out of 100, are going to get over this just like they do the flu, and uh, you're sick for a, a week or so, and start improving, and uh, you'd be back at work uh, if if uh, that's possible. So, those type of things. If you think of the flu, that's what coronavirus looks like. All right, I'm talking with Dr. David Stevens. You can check out everything that CMDA Christian Medical and Dental Association is doing at cmda.org. Um, Dr. Stevens, in the minute we have left, um, how about just give an encouragement today to people in all of those healthcare professions? Yeah, well, I think encouraging for everyone because the Bible tells us very clearly to fear not. This is not the time to panic. God's still in control. In fact, Hebrews 13, 6, one of my favorite verses, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can coronavirus do to me? Our hope is in Christ. And this is a great opportunity as people get concerned that they see a peace in our lives. And uh, ask the reason why. How, how, how are you handling this? You, you've got this in your family, and yet you seem so peaceful about it because God is still in control. And it's also an opportunity for us to help others uh, if this thing gets out of control, uh, looking to their interests, not our own interests uh, in these situations. Dr. Stevens, thank you so much. As always, we're going to invite people to check out what you guys are doing at cmda.org. We'll be right back. Artificial intelligence, what is it? What part of our lives does it impact? Um, Where are the places and spaces where, frankly, I'm already dependent on AI and I don't even know it? How is it affecting my health care? How does it affect the conversations we have about privacy? What does it look like in the future? Well, all of that up next with Jason Thacker. He has a brand new book out today entitled The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. These words are found in the book of Psalms. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. And though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. This is Max Lucado. Do the words of the psalmist surprise you? Where did we get this idea of a God who does not care, who is not near? We certainly didn't get it from Jesus. Jesus Christ is the perfect picture of God. Want to know how God feels about the sick? Then look at Jesus. What angers God? Look at Jesus. Does God ever give up on people? Does he stand up for people? Find the answer in Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun is the radiance and only expression of the glory of our awesome God. 
He is the exact representation and perfect imprint of his Father's essence. This is Max Licato. All right, for those of you who remember that my husband uh, is an arborist, you can imagine that, um, like, the phones are ringing off the hook. Even my personal cell phone, people, uh, you know, want to help because there are trees down in our area. So there you go. Hats off to everybody who is thinking broadly about how they might help this morning. Jason Thacker is with me right now, among other things, the author of a brand new book just launched this morning. Happy launch day for the age of AI. Jason, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Carmen. Are we first? Are we the first you interview? You are the first. <gasps> yep, first thing we, this we, morning. We kind of, yeah, you know, we kind of pride ourselves on being first. We love that. So thank you for the privilege of being your first interview on launch day for the new book. We hope that um, not only will folks be very, very interested in the content, but supportive of this effort. So the age of AI, let me just start with this. Um, well, you know, I'm tempted to ask the question that everybody wants to ask, which is, are robots going to take my job? But let's start with what is artificial intelligence? Yeah, and that's a really good question to start with, because often I think when we talk about artificial intelligence, we get a lot of our ideas from sci-fi and novels and movies about kind of these robots overlords or these killer robots and things like that. But really what artificial intelligence is, is a computer that's able to do certain things for us. Uh, you think of how Siri on our phones or our tablets or our thermostats or even some of the algorithms that run our social media. All they are is they're thinking machines. They're able to process information and make decisions. And so they help make our lives a lot easier uh, in reality. So when we think about AI and we think about the places in our lives where it is already influ- influencing things, can you can you just sort of give me – a quick laundry list of ways that I'm already intersecting with AI or relying on AI that I may be completely unaware of. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm even hesitant to say it because I know that people's phones and tablets and computers might wake up. But uh, things like Alexa, Siri, uh, Google Home, uh, Nest devices, anything that is considered a smart device. We often hear that thing with like uh, kind of the Internet of Things, whether it's a smart coffee pot or microwave, anything that's smart exhibits intelligent type behaviors is uh, often run by some form of artificial intelligence. And that can go from your phone all the way up to highly advanced uh, manufacturing systems, robotic uh, type of assembly machines, or even to weapons of war. And that's really what I do in the book is to say, hey, where do we start? How do we start thinking about the influence of AI on our lives and not processing it as if we're fearful or scared? or that it's not really here and it's not really affecting us. What I want to do is equip the church to start thinking proactively about this issue rather than reactively, which is what we often do in the church. We think, you know, AI is not really around for 5 or 10 or 15, 20 years, and so we don't really start thinking about it. But the reality is we're using this technology every single day in our daily lives, and so it's helpful for us to go ahead and start processing these things and how it's influencing us and how it's changing us and Hopefully, if we utilize this tool correctly and for God's glory, it'll end up benefiting the church and benefiting us as we seek to love God. So I'm talking with Jason Thacker. He is uh, Associate Research Fellow at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, He is um, also an author. 
You've, you can read him online at lots of outlets like the Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today. Uh, he is the author of The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. You can find him at jasonthacker.com. Um, Jason, you used the word tool in your answer to that last question. You used the word tool. I'm not sure that many of us feel like AI is a tool so much as we feel like it is becoming a master. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point. Um, I do use the word tool because I think as we look at the scriptures and how God created us, um, often when I talk about AI, I like to think of uh, artificial intelligence really isn't causing us to ask new questions of humanity. It's really causing us to ask the age-old questions in light of new opportunity. And what I mean by that is every single day, whether it's in the fields of AI or science or even just the broader culture, we have a lot of these existential questions, these fundamental questions like, is there a God? And if so, what is he like? What does it mean to be human? That's a huge question that's being asked in these fields is what does it actually mean to be a human in light of some of these uh, advanced machines? And then what is technology? And the scriptures give us a really clear guide that there is a God, uh, that his name is Yahweh, that he's the creator of all things, that he created us as human beings in his image. And as his image bearer, there's nothing that's ever going to rival, rival us in terms of value dignity and worth. It doesn't matter how advanced these machines become, they're never going to take our place as the crown jewel of creation because we're made in God's image. But knowing that we're made in God's image, we're also called to use technology. Technology is not a new thing. Often we think of smartphones and devices and tablets as that's what technology is. But really, we've had technology since the beginning of civilization, things like the shovel and the hoe going all the way up to like Gutenberg and the printing press, uh, newspapers, and then going into manufacturing. And now we're sitting, you know, I'm connected to a computer in my office and we're having a conversation. Um, These are all forms of technology, but we're called by God to use these tools, to use these technologies to ultimately love God and to love our neighbor, as as Jesus talks about in Matthew 22. And so if we keep the idea that these things are tools that God has given us to use to aid and equip our lives— We'll have the right understanding on how to apply them ultimately for good, but also knowing these tools can be abused and used for evil. So I'm talking with Jason Thacker. We're talking about a new book just out today, The Age of AI. Um, I appreciate in here, Jason, how you very directly bring the Word of God to apply on this topic. I got to tell you, that was um, probably the greatest delight and surprise of the book Um, I mean, knowing you, it shouldn't surprise me that you're bringing the Word of God to bear at every turn on this subject matter, but I think that that will be the delight and surprise for most people when they engage this material. Um, And so uh, when we come back from a very, very brief break, I want to turn with you to page 168, 169. I really want you to unpack this passage in Isaiah 44 um, and, and talk us through, like, how we are forever bowing down to things other than God, how we bow down to technology in this generation, and then how we as Christians need to, you know, find our way in the midst of this, um, you know, to a faithfulness to God, even as we possibly become more reliant on AI. So I'm going to continue this conversation with Jason Thacker right after the break, the age of AI, artificial intelligence, and the future of humanity. We'll be right back.
Okay, while I appreciate that many of you are texting in for a copy of the book, I don't have any copies of the book to give away today. So you're going to have to find The Age of AI by Jason Thacker um, through the more traditional route, which, you know, is via Amazon and all the other <clears throat> outlets out there. You can go to Jason Thacker. Are we .com? Jason, I'm not on that page anymore. JasonThacker.com for uh, all of Jason's contact info and a direct link to find the book. The book is The Age of AI. All right, Jason, I gave you a heads up before the break that I want to jump in to this, uh, this reality that we are always bowing down to things that we have made instead of um, allowing them to be servants that, that God has, you know, helped us uh, create in order that we could better serve one another and humanity and God. So can you talk about walking through this passage in Isaiah 44 and sort of how you get into this conversation about the future? Yeah. So as we turn to how technology is influencing our lives, often when we talk about technology, it seems kind of counterintuitive because when I say this, it's going to be like, yeah, duh, that totally makes sense. Why would we ever do that? But subtly in our hearts, what we end up doing is we know that we're not okay. We know this world is not okay. We know that there's something greater um, and often we think if we just obtain a, a better job or a little bit more money or even sometimes the newest technologies that we're going to be able to fix what's broken in our lives and what's broken in our society and our world. And this passage from Isaiah 44 verses 12 through 17 really stood out to me as I was thinking through artificial intelligence because honestly when I was doing a lot of research for the book, I was reading a ton of secular resources, one, because there hasn't been a lot of um, – work done from a Christian perspective. But two, I want to know what our culture and what people around us are thinking and how they're processing these things. And as I was thinking through Isaiah 44, you see the ironsmith. Uh, he is creating, he has many talents and gifts, and he also is very hungry. He gets tired just like the rest of us. And he is uh, making himself food and he's preparing a fire to keep himself warm. But at the same time, he's taking some of the materials and the gifts that God has given him uh, to create an idol. Uh, it's something idolatry is a very common theme that we see throughout the Bible. But he takes part of it and he, the scripture tells us that he shapes it into the figure of a man the beauty of a man to dwell in his house. And at one point he turns and said, he bows down and says, deliver me for you are my God. Now for most of us in the 21st century, we laugh at that because we don't have these little idols sitting around our offices and in our homes. But we treat often our technologies in that way. Uh, there's a really popular thinker. His name's Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote a New York Times bestseller called Homo Deus. And in it, he says that really humanity's pretty great. I mean, we've already overcome plague, famine, and war. And what's to say if we take all of our collective energies that we really can't overcome death? Um, there's really no reason that we can't do these things. Uh, we know what causes death. We know that things wear out. So why don't we just create these technologies in order to um, fix all of our problems? And so often from a Christian perspective, we see what's happening there. We see that there's this bowing down, this kind of worshiping, idolizing of these tools that are, they're going to fix all of our problems. But as Christians, we know that that's never going to be the case because – Ultimately, that hole in our heart is Jesus. It's, it's having that relationship with God, and we already know the one who's defeated death, and his name is Jesus Christ. Keeping the Savior clearly in view in the midst of this conversation, I think, is absolutely critical and essential. Um, 
So I'm going to share with you a listener observation, which I will then frame as a question. Uh, Jason Thacker, some say the beast, that is a reference I feel confident to Revelation. Uh, Some say that the beast will come through AI. Yeah. um, uh, Often when I do talk about artificial intelligence, we do, you see kind of these allusions to revelation in the end times. And I think there's a couple things that we need to keep in mind. One, uh, this is not a new thing. I mean, every generation thinks that we know what the mark of the beast is. We know who the antichrist is. We have a lot of these kind of visions of the future and a partly because we're scared. We're scared of the power of these tools. We're scared of how they're already being used, how they're influencing our lives. But as Christians, we know where our hope is. Uh, We know that we don't have to fear. Um, We already know the end of the story, Revelation 21, uh, that Jesus is on the throne, that all the people of God throughout the entire world are worshiping, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We know the end of the story, and so we don't have to engage a lot of these things with fear But as we talk about artificial intelligence, this is a a tool. I mean, often, again, I think often our understandings of artificial intelligence come from our movies and sci-fis about these robots kind of uprisings and things like that. Even within the AI community, there's a lot of uh, confusion and a lot of uh, skepticism that we'll even be able to create something like a conscience machine or what's called artificial general intelligence. There's only one general intelligence in the world, and that's humanity. Um, We haven't been able to create that. Our tools aren't that smart. Um, If you think of my Siri often misunderstands me and misapplies, like if it can't take that simple thing, how is it going to overthrow the world? And so I think for us, we need to keep in mind that these tools are just that. They're tools uh, that God has given us to use and that we can use to love God and to love our neighbor better, ultimately recognizing the dignity, value, and worth of every human being. All right. So, Jason, um, and again, I'm talking with Jason Thacker. The book is The Age of AI. Check it out at jasonthacker.com. If I were to ask Alexa, how can we love God and our neighbor better, would she give me ideas? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I actually, a couple of weeks ago, I had an article that ran at my site and at erlc.com about robot pastors. Um, yeah. And people think that's really crazy. Why would we ever want that? Well, uh, reality is over the last few years, we've kind of seen a, a surge of these type of machines. Uh, anything from the Bless U2 robot uh, that was launched by the German Protestant Church uh, during the 500th uh, anniversary of the Reformation where you could walk up and the machine, the robot would actually dispense a blessing on you. Uh, but people often go to these devices. I mean, even in our family, we ask our Siri um, random questions and sometimes we get kind of funny answers. My son loves it. He thinks it's fantastic uh, when it'll talk back to him and answer questions. But we often do go to these machines uh, asking some of these existential questions, sometimes things that we don't even want to ask our spouse or even our family members. I referenced an article in the book by um, a lady at The Atlantic where she confesses, and it sounds really weird uh, when you say it like this, but uh, you can read the book to understand more of the context. Uh, but she talks about how she is actually telling uh, her smart device things uh, that she hasn't told her husband, and partially because she's embarrassed. Uh, she's embarrassed of uh, the way she's feeling or the things she's thinking. So being able to verbalize that is helpful for her. Even though the machine doesn't understand, sometimes it responds back with a funny quip or two. 
Um, but by and large, the machine has no idea what she's talking about. But for her, she's able to connect and share these things that she's not even sharing with her husband. And that should strike some fear into us in the sense of how is this technology, how are we idolizing this technology, but also how are we using these technologies in lieu of flesh and blood community with our neighbors and connecting with God and loving our neighbors better. Um, but then also how is it influencing us and kind of changing the way that we view the world? And that's why in the book, I start off by saying we need to get some of these fundamental questions straight and correct before we engage a lot of the ethical and kind of thorny issues. Jason, it is, um, it's an excellent work. I wish we had time, um, and maybe we do. Let's take one minute and let's talk about uh, page 157. Complete privacy is a lie. I thought this was, um, for me, one of the most important chapters because it's on data and privacy. I learned a lot while I was reading it. Um, but this helping me be mindful of the fact that, you know, I do live under the sovereignty of an omniscient, omniscient God was a particularly helpful a point in this chapter of the book. Yeah, I mean, often that's some, these are some of the biggest questions that we're facing, whether it's pending legislation at the federal level, you have uh, places like the California who already have a big privacy act or even the European Union with the new GDPR, which is um, kind of an overreaching privacy act. In our in our world, we know that so much of our lives is becoming digital. So much of our lives are being tracked and cataloged and massive amounts of data are being stored on us. And I think as Christians, we need to come to that realizing, one, that we live under a sovereign God. Nothing that we do ever have thought or even felt comes outside of his understanding and underst our connection with us. He knows every single thing about us, even the hairs on our head. And so understanding that God is completely sovereign and there isn't something that we can hide from other people, but even him. And so as we enter into this digital world, I think back to a few years ago where you had the Ashley Madison scandal where so many um, Christians even were outed that they were using this service to um, really be involved in sexual immorality. It's these things are going to be found out. And so if we think that we can hide behind a veil of privacy, a lot of the things that we're dealing with in our lives, we can't. And honestly, that's the invitation of the gospel is to step in and know that God sees us. He knows us intimately and deeply, and he's, yet he still loves us and that yet he still sent his son to die on the cross so that we might have a relationship with him. And so as we think through a lot of the data and privacy issues, I think we need to keep that in mind, that we live under a sovereign God who knows everything about us, but also loves us uh, deeply and intimately. Jason Thacker, it is an excellent book. We're thrilled to uh, be with you on this launch day. The book is The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. It's as much a Bible study as it is um, a, a look not only at the present, but the future of our dignity as people as we interact with the machines we make. Jason Thacker, you can find him at jasonthacker.com and on all of the social medias. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Carmen. It's a joy to be with you. Blessings on launch day, man. We're excited. All right, we'll be right Thank back. You. Um, all right, so don't worry. Uh, my job is not likely going to be replaced by a robot uh, anytime soon. So <clears throat> I'm with you. I'm for you. Thanks for being with us and for us here at Mornings with Carmen. You can grab the podcast later today at MyFaithRadio.com. Share it with someone else. Yes, we will all be a little bit dependent on AI as we do that. <laughs> 
There you go. All right, friends, have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.